Okay. Check mic one, two, check, check. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I got green light here. Can you hear me? They may not need it out here. I got it. I'm usually pretty loud. Can y'all hear me? Yes. All right. Is it too cold? As everybody puts on their uh, jackets? It'll shut off shortly. If not, I'll shut it off. Ah, you're backdooring us, huh? Just uh, sign in and grab you a book, sir. All right, we'll kind of get started a little casually, give everybody a chance to kind of wheel in. Good morning. How's everybody? Do you have any idea why you're here? Well, good. Hopefully by the end of week five, you got it figured out. Um, so, this is, so this is Growth Track. Um, the, for those of you who may have been here before heard, previously we had a thing which was called Foundation Classes. Um, which, is real, which is essentially a very similar course. The idea behind Growth Track is one, obviously, for, for people that come to the church first time or new to the church. Maybe people that have been in the church for a while or, and are looking to either get more involved um, and look to start to obviously just engage in the, in the body of Christ. So what it is, it's a four-week class. Um, uh, our intention here is obviously to give you an understanding of, most importantly, uh, the gospel and the church and the and why we do and why we do what we call church um, every week, uh, but also on top of that we get to obviously meet to fellowship um, and then ultimately at the end our hope is that God will have put a, a calling on your life to serve in some capacity um, and to be, and to be a member of the body we'll kind of get into that and explain that a little bit more scripturally um, most importantly it, it is all scripturally based. Um, if I throw out my opinion, I'll let you know. Outside of that, it's all, all of our teachings here have been um, built on, on, on the gospel and scripture. So any questions? Anybody got anything they just write off that's just been bothering you all week long since you signed up? You can't take it? Good. I just asked if they get too tough, you know, just maybe, maybe pull me to the side after. No, well, it's pretty open. Um, I don't, you know, if you got something to say... Whether you raise your hand or not, I'll probably uh, let you talk. Not real strict. Um, and we'll just go through the book. It'll, it's going to follow pretty tightly here. So, you know, just follow along. We'll have the words and answers up on the screens. As, additionally, if by chance I get a little bit too far ahead of you, just say, uh, hold on a second, what was, the, what was the answer there? We'll have it here, and we can also repeat it for you. Other than that, we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll get started. Any other questions? outside of the none before. All right, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, God, to be able to, God, to dig into your truths, God, to study your word, God, to see a picture, God of, God, of your desire for us as believers, God, for your name to be lifted high, God, for the gospel, God, to be advanced, God, not only in the corporate level of the church, God, where all of us combined, God, but each of us individually, God, as we go forth, I'd give us strength, Father. Let us be honest with ourselves. And God, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, if you do have to use a restroom or anything, too, this is your quickest route out, by the way. There's two down this back hall. So, lesson number one, what is the gospel? Is what we've titled it. What is the gospel? And we'll read through here. This is the most important question that anyone can answer, uh, particularly as a believer pose it like this. It seems like a question that would not need to be asked to a group of believers. It's like asking a fisherman to sit around and ponder the question, what is a fishing pole, right? So the gospel should be the most basic and fundamental understanding of our Christian walk. But I can tell you this, and you can look at this stat here. And actually, I was at a conference two weeks ago, and it was interesting. They used this stat as well. The truth is 51% of churchgoers don't know the Great Commission which is ultimately our call to advance the gospel. So it begs the question, do we understand what the gospel is? So this is why we start here, uh, because many of us, and including myself, can remember a time of, if you said the word gospel, and I, I could tell you a lot of things about it, but I don't know that the gospel, well, I know for a fact, didn't become real in my life until I truly understood what the gospel was, more than just saying it was the good news, right? How many of we heard that? It's the good news, right? And, you'd be, and you would be correct. It is the good news, but it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. 
So our prayer is this, that by the end of this lesson and the end of this course, you have a clear understanding and a high view of the gospel, allowing you to boldly proclaim it with clarity and, ac- and accuracy. So a good place for us to start this journey is we're going to begin to look at just the word gospel itself. Any questions so far? Water break. All right, so the gospel defined. First part there, as you see in your notes, is it's the message concerning Christ, the kingdom of God, and salvation. And more importantly, or in addition to that, one of the first four New Testament books telling the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, real quickly, that is the gospel, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But, but we're going to take it even, now we're going to take it, it goes even a step further than that. And it's the way in which the gospel impacts our lives as believers. So, looking at the word gospel in the Greek, there's two different things here I want us to look at in Romans 1.15 and Romans 1.16. So, the first part there, when you look in Romans 1.15, Paul's saying to the church, he says, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's saying that he's eager to preach the gospel. Well, when we look at the gospel in the Greek there, it's euangelizo, which means to bring good news or to announce glad tidings, right? That's probably the one we've been, we're the most familiar with. But look what he does as he transitions to verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But when we look at gospel in this context, the Greek word for it is euangelion, and it's a reward for good tidings. A reward for good tidings. And the reward he speaks there specifically is how the gospel has impacted his life personally. So the first part is he's eager to preach these glad tidings of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then he adds to it that I'm not ashamed of it because what it's done in my life, it's completely changed me. I'm no longer who I was. Just like it said in Corinthians, we were a new creation. So now he's somebody completely different than he was before. So now he's eager to go out and tell everyone about that. Now, this isn't just isolated to Paul. This is the same thing for us today in 2018, that we would be eager to proclaim not only the gospel, but what the gospel has done in our life, because that, who, that is who Christ is. So that is the very fundamental idea of what the gospel is and what we, are, what we want to circle this whole message around. In summary, the gospel is the message about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's your first word there, resurrection, to fill in your blank. Might be on, is it on the next page? Or at the very bottom, yep. Resurrection, because what, what would have happened had he not been resurrected? Been a story, right? Would have been no different than any other, any other God, but our God came back to life. And, 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 is, and, is made, and, made, and in that, we are made new. The gospel message, going to page two, is founded on the authority of God's word, not religious tradition. How many of you came up in some sort of religious tradition? I can raise my hand pretty high, right? right? We get, when we get caught up in the traditions of man, we are essentially caught up in the opinions of man. When we get caught up in the traditions of man, we are essentially caught up in the opinions of man. The simple definition of the word gospel, as we said earlier, is good news. And that good news is what Christ did and then ultimately what he does in our lives. When we get the one when, when we get caught up, when we get caught up in the traditions of man, we are essentially caught up in the opinions of man. The opinions of man. No problem. So there we see at the top, that first part of it is the authority of God's word. The authority of God's word. And God's word is obviously his revealed word to us that we have from Genesis to Revelation. And this is where it's all founded on. Um, and scripture will be, is and will be the focus of it because it is, it is God's very breathed out word to us as, as believers. So to properly understand the good news, we must look at four basic realities that make up the core of the gospel. So our first point this morning is God is creator and he is holy. 
God is creator and he is holy. We must first understand that God is the creator. If we fail to start with this understanding, we will ultimately fail to understand the meaning of our existence. So this is the very foundational principle of us understanding the gospel. We look at it here in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in 127, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the picture here is obviously he created everything. He created the world. He created everything that we see. But then in addition to that, he created us, um, as in, and we created us in his image. And the reason why that's so important, because if you, if you struggle with the very idea that God is creator, which ultimately makes him sovereign um, over all things, if, you, if we struggle with seeing that, then how is he going to be sovereign in your own life personally if you don't see him as sovereign in, in the totality? So that's why it's so important that we, and, and some of you are sitting here thinking, well, that's just, that's just very basic, you know, right? But if you look, if you look not only, not even take the world, but if you look across the Christian community, you know, how many people have developed all these new ideas of the best way and the right way to do things, aside from the reality that God is sovereign and he is holy. He's a creator of all things. So it's a, it's a fundamental part that we've got to look at, and it started back in Genesis 1. So there's two more main points to understand from these verses. God created the world, and God created you. That's some more blanks you got there. God created the world, and God created you. Because God is the creator, and we are the created, he has ultimate authority over our lives as his creations. God is sovereign over his creation, and by nature, he is holy. To say that God is holy is to say that he is separate from his creation. He is other than us. Right? Whenever you are the creator versus the created, there is a, there's a difference, right? I mean, think about the things that you've created in your life. Um, you know, use things you've built. I mean, you are, you are above and have ultimate control over those things. It takes it to a whole other level with God. But Isaiah 57, 15 says this about God. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Because God is holy, he cannot allow sin to dwell in his presence. So this is beginning to show the struggle between God, his, the creator and his creation. Psalms 5.4 gives us that picture. It says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, and evil may not dwell with you. God cannot tolerate sin and will bring justice to sin. Ecclesiastes 12.14, For God will bring every deed unto judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. And then once again in Isaiah 13, 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for its iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So at this point of the message, everybody's like, <laughs> where's the hope, right? So the encouragement is here. Remember this. Obviously, we, we, we know the whole story at this point. But we have to understand who we have to have an understanding of who God is and have a reverence and an honor for his holiness. That he is he is separate, he is different than who we are. Now the answer's coming, but in order for we have to understand the reality of who God is. This is this is who God is in his at his very nature. See Greg Gilbert, I got a quote here. He says, You see, nobody wants a God who declines to deal with evil. They just want a God who declines to deal with very evil, right? Right. Think about it. You know, I mean, we see uh, we see atrocities. We see all the things going on around us. Things have happened to us personally, and we are very, very, very quick for for that to be judged. Naturally, I mean, and, and they should be. I'm not saying that those things are should not be taken care of, whether it be through the court of law, however that plays out. But this takes it. You know, that we always see the outward of what someone does and look at that as with the atrocity, but the the real atrocity is that. The, the, the sin of man put Christ on the cross. And that's the ultimate atrocity that took place. So what we have to do is we have to see that that was us at one time. If you're sitting here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're no longer there, but you were there, and, you, and your sins is what put him on the cross. And, I, you know, 
so much removed from it, and obviously there's no physical act of our hands that took place, so I think it's tough for us to kind of really kind of join up with that. But that's what Scripture tells us. That's essentially what's happening, and that's why God says that he cannot dwell in that. That's not what he can do. The holiness of God brings us the bad news concerning our condition as humanity. So once we understand that, it's going to bring us to this next point here, that humanity is sinful. Who would agree with me that humanity is sinful? That would be all of us here in the room and going forth from that. So what went wrong? So let's look. Remember, we started in Genesis 1, and now we're moving to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve rebel against God's commands, setting the trajectory for all mankind from that point on. Setting the trajectory for all mankind from that point on. Man is the created, and man is in rebellion against the Creator. This is where we find ourselves today. Man is the created, and man is in rebellion against the Creator. Looking, in, looking into Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what, what does all include? All, right? Right? Romans 3.10 says that none is righteous, no, not one. So who's none? We are none in all. We fit right into this category. Romans 3.10 tells us the sobering reality that everyone is guilty and no one is righteous. Everyone is guilty and no one is righteous. So, we, so as we looked at who God was, now we're going to begin to look at who we are as, as mankind. And we should begin to be able to see the parallel of where the struggle is where the struggle comes in. Jeremiah 17.9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's, that's powerful words, you know, because it's, the idea is, is that is what it is in and of itself. We must see our sin in the correct light. It is what separates us from a holy God, and we are the criminal who is unrighteous and deserving of judgment. It is what separates us from a holy God, and we are the criminal who is unrighteous and deserving of judgment. Romans 6.23, the first part of it, A there, says, For the wages of sin is death. That The wages of sin is death. Unfortunately, in our culture today, we see ourselves as victims. And when you see yourself as a victim, you are looking elsewhere for the perpetrator, when in fact the perpetrator is you. Think about that for a second. You know? Think about our culture that we live in, even outside of the church. I mean, is it not just a culture filled with who's, who's been victimized? Um, you know, who's, and when I say a victim, I'm not even talking about a heinous crime. I'm thinking, you know, you've been, you've been pushed down. You know, you've not been allowed to advance yourself in your job or in society because of certain situations or certain things. We're always looking for an excuse of why we can't do something. As a culture, that's who we are. Um, I'm not saying that about each of us individually here, but as a rule, that's where our nature is, is that we would just, we, personal responsibility is not really high on the level of things in our culture today, right? Now, the, the church, in the church, we should see a complete opposite of that. We should see one of humility and one of sacrifice, but we live in a culture of one where personal responsibility um, is not really, not really regarded very high at all. I mean, you all work places, right? How many times are you, you know, you, you, if you're in, especially if you're in levels of management or supervising, you know, what my fault, you know, why, why are you late today? Well, you know, it is, and well, that, well, that, rather than just saying, I'm, I'm late because I'm irresponsible, you know, I, you know, I just, I made a mistake and move on, you know, you don't get that very often, um, but it does happen, but the idea is we live in this world of being victims. Did you want to say something? Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I heard it just this week on the radio that, and just as a reminder, that Adam, it wasn't Adam's fault that they ate of the fruit of the tree of life. Right. Um, and it wasn't Eve's fault either. It was the serpent's fault. So we've always been in a blame, blame casting. Yeah, you could you could preach for months on that on that on that on that uh, verse alone, um, and yeah, you know it's true. It's it's been since the beginning of time. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, we, you know, we look at where we are in our world today. And we think how bad it is, how terrible it is, and it is. Um, but it's nothing new. 
It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. The, the, the gimmick in the game has still been the same over and over again. Uh, we just live now, so it's, you know, this is what we see. This is what we understand in this little blip of time that takes place. At this point, we are left with a big problem. How can sinful humanity be reconciled to their creator? How can sinful humanity be reconciled to their creator? Because remember, we've looked at the reality of who God is. He's sovereign and he's holy and he cannot dwell in the presence of sin. And then we look at mankind, humanity, where we are, and we realize that's really all we represent is, 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 is the sin nature. Our fallen human inclination is to work our way out of this mess. Every world religion besides Christianity is based upon a foundation of self-help and works-based righteousness. Our fallen human inclination is to work our way out of this mess. Every world religion besides Christianity is based upon a foundation of self-help and works-based righteousness. The gospel points us to the only solution for humanity's sin problem. The gospel points us to the only solution for humanity's sin problem. Because that is what, that is what religion does for you. They recognize there's an issue. They recognize a problem at some point. So then they begin to figure out how to work through that. Well, I need to do more of this. I need to do more of that. I need to help here more. I need to be a good person, right? How many of you have you heard that? I'm a good person, right? And they probably are. They probably are a good person. But what do we know aside from us being as a good person? What is the reality of mankind? Death. Death. Sin. We have sin nature. I mean, that is, that is just the reality. We may do good things, and we may, but, but unless we are reconciled in that throughout, through, through Jesus Christ, which is where we're moving to, then the relationship with God does not exist because those two things cannot exist one and the same. So that brings us to point three, that Jesus is the solution. This is the point of the message where it gets, the mood changes a little bit, right? Jesus is the solution. Let's look back at Genesis in the fall and catch a hint of the good news to come. So as we look at this, what I want you to remember is whenever Scripture from, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation is all about Jesus. And we're going to have one whole, one whole um, series here where we get into that. But look all the way back in Genesis 3, 1 and 3.15. And this is an allusion to obviously Christ coming thousands of years later. And he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, God wanted Adam and Eve and us to see that the story was not over. From that point on, the Bible begins to unfold a plan for a Savior who is Christ Jesus. Unfold a plan for a Savior who is Christ Jesus. So from the moment they fell in the garden, everything changed for us, right? I mean, in that small amount of time. So the question brings us, who is Jesus? Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's fully God and fully man. He's the incarnation of God here on earth. He's all God and all man. But Jesus existed from, from the get-go. He is part of the creation, because in John 1, 1 through 3, we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Hebrews four fifteen, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that was the difference. Jesus walked this earth as the incarnation of God, as the incarnate God. And so he, he experienced what we experienced. He's, he has seen what we have seen. He's gone through the emotions of, what we've, of, of culture and all these things, but without sin. There's the difference. So for thousands of years, there was a promise of a king to come, and now he is finally here walking the earth. I think about that. You know, we, we live on this side, and we've seen the whole picture, right? The only thing we haven't seen is obviously the, the, the glorification, the end of it all. But we've know, we've seen, we see Jesus' life, and we see what he walked through. But think about the people in that day. They've only heard of it, right? They've got the Old, they've got the old Testament for them. They've only heard of the illusion of the Messiah to come, that it, it was going to happen. But they had no idea. You know, they didn't know who it was. They're searching and looking for it. But here he is. He comes out and he walks the earth. Luke 1, 32-33 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. 
John 1.29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is John the Baptist. But it says, when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about this. The first century Jew knew that it would have been a reference to the Passover, uh, the, the festival of Passover. Because that was, that was at that time, that was what was the atonement for their sins, right? The, the Passover, which was back from the Old Testament, from the plagues. So they knew what the Passover was, and it was something they celebrated. And they knew that at some point there was going to be the perfect lamb that was going to come. But there's John the Baptist proclaiming that. Think about that. Put yourself in that situation. You're standing there. You happen to be with John the Baptist. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And so this is going to, this is going to take us apart a little bit later. But I want you to see something. How did he know that that was Jesus? By the Spirit of God. That's exactly right. How do we know who Jesus is? It's the very same thing. Because think about that. Would you, if you had no idea who Jesus was, you've only heard him, and he comes in this room and sits here. Um, I, I mean, if somebody comes in here, and I mean, both of you, many of you here today, do, I'm sure you could look across the room and have no idea who that person is, right? Just because they're in your presence doesn't necessarily mean you know who they are. But here, here John says, behold, the Lamb of God. That is but by the revealed Spirit of God that he knew that. It's the same thing holds true for us today, that we know who Christ is because he's drawn us, he's chosen us, he's called us, and we, and we begin to recognize who he is. So that's, you know, I just think about standing there and seeing that and just, and I'm sure there was some thinking sitting there next to him, who, what do you mean? You know, what are you talking about? Because that would have been the case if it, was not, if it had not been revealed to them. So year after year, the blood of lambs would atone, would substitute for the sins of another. But the problem is that it did not last, and the ritual had to be performed over and over again. Because, right, as soon as you take the life of an animal or person, what happens to that blood? It dies, right? It's no longer, it's no longer supporting life. It no longer has the things to do to, to be alive. But now a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice, was walking the earth to be the final atonement for the sins of those who believe. And Jesus knew why he was here as a man. John 10, 15, and 18 says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. So what we need to see there is that Jesus and God are one and the same. You know, we we, we got to be careful that we, you know, you, you sit there and, you know, we, the Trinity obviously always comes in that, you know, and you say, well, you begin to try and wrap our minds around that. Church, I'm here to tell you, I don't know that you're ever going to wrap your mind around it. To the day in which we meet, we meet Christ face to face. And it's okay because we understand that God is creator and that God is holy. And, it's because, and once we understand that, we begin to be okay with some of these things. And when I mean okay, I'm not saying that you sit there and you just, you just throw it to the wind and you just say, you know, oh, I'm just moving on faith and belief. No, it's because we believe that God is sovereign and he's holy and that there are things that he has put into place, being that he is the creator, that the created will not understand and will not grasp. That's not our, our job is not to wrap our mind around all the theology of Christ at every little intricate detail because then what do you need God for? If you can grasp all those details and understand all that, then you might just be moving into the position of creator, right? Which is a, which is a bad spot, obviously, for us to be. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You know, that scripture right there, what is ultimate healing for us in our life? Forgiveness of sin. Coming into, coming into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Obviously, our physical bodies are healed in different capacities at different times. Sometimes they are a certain number. But ultimate healing is a heart that's been renewed, and we are a new creation in who Christ is. That's ultimate healing, and that's what he's saying, that by his wounds we have been healed. So that sacrifice that he took on the cross, those, that, that beating, that brutality, that's what provides ultimate healing for us as believers. When Jesus suffered on that cross, it was not his sins, because remember, he, he, he walked the earth without sin, that he was punished for, but it was our sins that he was punished for. So this goes back to that reality of who we are as our, in our human nature, that we are sinful, and that our sins is what put Jesus on the cross. Think about it. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me, right? Well, what do we know, what, what do we know in Scripture? That God cannot be in the presence of sin. And it's in that moment Christ took on the full burden and the full load of, of the sin of every man up until that point and for every man going forward. And in that moment, his, he turns away from him because he can't take it. The reality is, is our sin is who put Jesus on the cross. A righteous and holy God can justify the ungodly because it's Jesus' death, mercy, and justice where we're perfectly reconciled. The curse was righteously executed, and we were mercifully saved. All of this is made complete because Jesus is risen. He, had Jesus not risen from the dead, his death would have counted for nothing. Had he not risen from the dead, his death would have counted for nothing. Romans eight thirty three through 34 it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? And the picture is there is Jesus, that perfect sacrifice that took place. He took that and now he, seats, he sits in heaven with God and that blood ever testifying to, the, to what he did for us. Right there he says he intercedes for us. Now that we are left with the most critical element of how will we respond? How will we respond? Everyone will respond to the gospel. People will either believe it and repent or they will deny and reject. People will either believe and repent or they will deny and reject. So Jesus is the answer, right? First point was God is creator and he's holy. Second point is mankind, humanity is sinful. And the third part, we know that Jesus is the answer. So we see the death, burial, and resurrection. We see the first part of what Paul was talking about there, right? And then we go to a point four, that everyone must respond. Everyone must respond. And that's where Paul's talking about in verse 16, where he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that he's, for what God has done in his life, he's not ashamed of it because now he can go forward with it. But we first, before we even get to that point, there's a response that takes place. A response to the good news of Jesus is required for the fulfillment of the gospel message in our lives. Mark 1.15, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts 2, 3-8, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We must turn from our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, tells it, Paul kind of goes to this in Romans when he alludes to Abraham's faith. Let's look here in Romans four eighteen through 21 It says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, and that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The gospel of Jesus Christ does the very same thing for us. We put our faith in Jesus, rely on him, and trust him that he'll do what he promised to do. So here's the question. What do we need to have faith in? When Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for our sin, he restored our relationship with the Father, and he now counts us as righteous before him, right? Counts us as righteous before him because we we were sinful. When When you look at the... When salvation takes place in your life, we alluded to it earlier um, when we were talking about John the Baptist, and he recognized who Christ was because it had been revealed to him in his heart, right? So that's the first part, you know, as we went through, if you've been here for the Ephesians study at the beginning of Ephesians, that was, he talked about there was, there's a calling that we are, we are chosen by God. But then what's the second part? There's a response, right? That has to take place. And do you need to leave? No problem. There's a response that takes place, and this response is belief. And these two things, these two things run alongside each other. Because when you look at, you know, when we look at John uh, 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe 
in him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. So that's our response, that we respond in belief. And what we respond in belief is the faith that what Christ did on the cross and is the ultimate atonement for our sins that brings us back into, brings us back into relationship with God has happened and has taken place, and he's working in our lives. But you say, you know, you sing there and you look at those two things. That goes back to when we were talking about the Trinity. So you've got God calling us, and you've got you expressing belief. And those two things in our lives, you know, they run, they run alongside each other because both of, them, both of them have to take place. Both of them are important. Both of them are, are what brings us into complete uh, union with Christ. But you think, well, you know, I don't know that, I think I just thought this up all on my own, right? That I just decided, obviously, to follow Christ. But that's not the truth. What you're responding to is the Holy Spirit's drawing on your life and, and wanting to restore that relationship with you. Romans three twenty one through 22 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, right? Because of because God of what he did with his son, the grace that he bestowed upon us, and we express faith in that, and in that becomes our, becomes our relationship. Salvation is not something we can earn, nor does something we deserve. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone. Because what do we deserve as mankind? Death. The wages of sin is death, right? That's what we deserve. So if you can come to the reality, even as a, even as a believer, well, you should, that that's what you deserve, what it does, it begins to focus your shift back to the fact that God is creator, he's holy, and he's sovereign. So it, it all works hand in hand. None, none of these things are separate of one another. Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works. Remember we talked about works and, and tradition and the opinions of man. By the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, who can be justified? No one can be justified, right? Now, because of this reality in our lives as believers, we are forever changed and our lives should reflect it. So now that we have a clear understanding of the gospel, or at least now that we've explained it, the next step of it for us in our life, and this is where Paul was talking about, that we've got to walk out this great commission. You know, Matthew 28, 19 to 20 says, Go, therefore. That is an imperative, right? That we are to go, therefore. And there's another imperative. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there's another one. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and here's his, he gives us this promise, that I am with you always to the end of the age. So a good, a good thing that I, I like to look at here is that the very last words that Jesus spoke to us on earth before his ascension really should, should be, as believers, our very first work. His last words should be our first work. And that first work is that we go therefore and we... we, we, we preach Jesus. We advance the gospel because of why? Because of what it's done in our life, right? We can testify just like Paul said that I am, he said that I'm eager, and then he says he gets excited about it because he's there to bring this forth. So that's our calling. And it says to, that we'd be, people would be baptized. And when people are baptized, that's what? That's a picture of what? It's, it's something God asks us to do when he's baptized, that we would that we would the, the new life that's taking place, right? The old man's there. We go into the water. We come up, and it's a picture of the newness of life that we have in Christ. And it says, "Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you." So when we so when we come into this uh, to the to faith in Jesus Christ, some of us have lived a life where that was you made it. That was it, right? Fire insurance checked off the box. It's a done deal. Walk through the rest of life. Well, no, that's not so, right? It doesn't say anything about that. It says that our job is to go out then and advance the gospel, advance what it's done in our life, and to begin to disciple. That's where we get discipleship. That's where that comes from, because we're out there busy discipling. Certain times in your life, you are discipled, and other parts, you are doing the discipling, right? But that is ultimately our cause, that we would walk out the Great Commission, because 
that is what Jesus' words were to us. I mean, obviously, along with all the other ones, because it says, what teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, all that I've commanded you. So point one was God is creator and he's holy. Humanity is sinful. Jesus is the answer. And we must respond ultimately in expressing belief in Jesus. So that's the, the gospel message all in one there. So what's some, what's some thoughts, some ideas? Questions? Anybody heard something they never heard before? Yeah, and, and you stand with a host of many people that have the same exact story. Yeah. I mean, I found myself in the very same place because we do get, you know, we are creatures kind of habit. Yeah. And like anything in life, so much of times the chase or the thrill of that is what is excited. And so all of a sudden something happens and then it's like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about, think about your, you know, you know, friendships. Think about uh, those of you who've been in marriage relationships. You know, think about the chase that took place up to the point where you finally meet one another. And then so many times, if we don't stay consistent in that relationship, guess what happens? Here's the thing with, here's the thing with coasting. There's no more propulsion taking place, right? Coasting always is a gradual decline of life. You might start up at this high point, but if you're in coasting, then it's just it. It's getting slower and it's getting lower. But as believers, that's the starting point for us, and it launches us in a completely different trajectory. You know, where the struggle comes in for us is, is we, as we begin to have those feelings and those concerns, and we begin to, you know, we, we kind of put some condemnation on ourselves, that's where the danger comes in of us wanting to be works-based in our, in our religion and in our belief. Then we think, okay, well, if I do so many of these things, then I feel okay, and I'm, I'm doing better, Right? And then, unfortunately, sometimes it's, no, not, not sometimes, all times, that's where heresy comes from. That's where false teachings comes from. This is where this idea in the church of everything's about you and everything's, you know, cozy and feely. That's where all that stuff comes from. Heresy. So that's, so for us, for what we would see is a, is a false teaching, a false gospel. So we know that this is the gospel based on, the Bible. So if someone's out there preaching in the name of Christianity and they begin to say something that's contrary to God's word, but kind of hide it amongst God's word, that's essentially, that's heresy. Because it's a, it's a false God. It's a false gospel. And ben kind of talked about that um, last week, I believe, in service, or maybe the week before. Uh, because it sounds right. It's got, little, it's got little snippets of the right stuff in it. And if we don't, if we as believers don't, aren't rooted and grounded and ultimately in God's word, then guess what? I mean, think about, think about the crazy, you know, we think about the crazy one like David Koresh, you know, the, you know, the Kool-Aid drinkers, you know, those kind of stuff. That was, that was a level of heresy that took place. You might not know that. That was back in, uh, in the 80s. <laughs> they probably teach it in class now. But, the, uh, but you know, those were, those were people that were, and that's, an, that's extreme, obviously, because we say it's extreme because it took you know, people's lives, but it's no different than, you know, some of the preachers that you could listen to uh, regularly now on TV, and it's there. Remember this, Christ is to always be exalted in everything, in, in every message. It is never, it is never about us, because if we understand the gospel, what does us look like, right? Sinful, you know, apart from who, what Christ did, not able. That's, that's heresy. White shadow, white shadow. White shadow. Anyway, I spent 36 years of my life uh, in bondage to something called alcohol. Um, was in church every Sunday. I had a great upbringing, family, mother and dad, just, uh, we, I thought, 
everything was right. I believed in God. Unfortunately, you, a couple of things you said today, and what's changed my life over the last it's going on seven years of sobriety, um, is it, well, it wasn't until I surrendered. When I surrendered and I truly started receiving his word the way it really needed to be received, and not, and I spent, because I, I drank all those years because I was afraid to do what you're doing right now, which is now what I do for a living, stand in front of people and share a testimony of what God has done to my life. He has right. completely transformed my life. Right. And it was all about surrender to, to him. Yep. And I, I tell you, we, yeah. we felt somewhat, this is crazy, folks. We so, someone intim intimidated to come in this room this morning. But why? We're looking at each other going, but why? He is our king. He is our king. Right. And, and we're looking very forward. I started coming to Living Word before I went and found my beautiful bride in Arizona over a year ago and came back. And we, she loves Pastor Ben. We, we've seen you here. And, and we want to become more a part of this great right. move, okay? Right. Because we do live in a troubled, an amazingly troubled world that is right. just afraid to, to keep number one, number one. And it wasn't until I did that. And, and now I feel right. so compelled to share that with people because 36 years in chains, man, and that's and a lot that, of us are still living that. You know? Well, that's what Paul said in 116. Well, and, and you said there that, you know, you, you, you feel this anxiety or this angst to, you know, come into a room like this or to, and it, it's from one thing. It's because we, we feel like we're going to be judged on the reality of things that we have done or who we are. Well, guess what? You are. Yeah. Uh, because that's essentially, that's essentially what happened. And when we, and we were able to, like you just said, when we're able to lay that down at the feet of Christ, oh, the work has taken place. I mean, that, that's ultimately what's there. And look, we don't, you know, you don't gather to obviously, you know, I call it kind of this AA mentality where everybody, you know, shares their struggles and everybody gets a warm, furly feeling because everybody realizes that somebody else has done something just as bad as they've done. Um, because we all have, you know, we could all sit down here and share for our glorious, you know, sins with one another and realize that we all just are as wretched as one another. But the problem comes with that is, is if that puts you in a place of comfort, uh, because you realize that you're the same as everybody else. Well, I'm here to tell you, you are the same as everybody else. You have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all. I mean, Scripture tells us that. So where we separate ourselves is that we realize that now Christ has done something in our life. And we are a new creation, as his Scripture tells us. Where the old has passed away, and the new has come. So you're not that person anymore. We, you know, we still walk in the same body and the same flesh, and we, and we feel like we're the same person, Right? But we're not, because what the scripture also tells us now, we are no longer, we are no longer aliens, but citizens of heaven. And that's another thing that separates us. From, yeah, we're walking in the flesh here. We're here. We deal in and out. We go to jobs. We, go to, we deal in relationships. But we're ambassadors to the world that we walk in now. In that moment of expressing belief in Christ, everything changes. Everything's completely different. Yeah, you still see the same thing that you saw physically. But the, the old has passed away. And then you has come. Now, we still, you speak to, you say, I don't feel like I've given it up all yet. You probably haven't. Because all of us haven't completely given it up yet. And we won't until when? Until we die, until we are fully glorified in Christ. Um, we still live, our, our, our flesh is still sinful. It still has the capacity to do bad things. But the difference is, is the Christ who lives in us is, is different. You know, Paul said it's Christ and him crucified. You know, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, right? You know, I mean, that's, that's profound. When we walk it out, 
um, and we advance his gospel, and we, we, we act out the Great Commission. And look, it only happens, you know, you, you, alluding to what you had spoke earlier about this feeling, I want to jump onto this. The only way you get past any of those emotions and those feelings is by the studying of God's Word. Amen. That is the only way that it happens, because it is God's Word from cover to cover. Everybody says, I'm waiting on a word. Open your Bible. Open your Bible. This is, this is the fully revealed Word of God. There's nothing more to be added to it. There's nothing to be taken from it. It is, it is God's Word to us. It's over. This is it. The death, the burial, the resurrection, it's it. You know, so we, we're justified, and then now we're in this process that we call the big word for it is sanctification. Sanctifies to be set apart. So each day we're becoming more and more like Christ into the moment that we're glorified. And all of that stuff ends, right? But right now, this is where we are. And we have to understand who God is, who we are, what Christ did, and now what it means for us going forward. So we get into the Word until the Word gets into us, which doesn't end, for the record. We get into the Word until the Word gets into us. Any more questions? Anything else? Yeah. Uh, typically the ESV, English Standard Version. Yeah, it's it's a it's a newer version, um, and its it, its focus was to it's a little bit harder maybe just to read, uh, but it, its its design and emphasis was to be as close to possible as the original uh, text. You know, obviously, you know, the Greek in the New Testament and then Hebrew in the Old Testament doesn't translate exactly into our English language naturally, um, but it's it's a close representation. What else? Good stuff, man. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. God, I thank you for the hearts, God, of these believers, and for the hearts of these people here today. And God, I pray, Father, as we, as we looked at your gospel, God, we looked at the reality of, God, of who you are, God, that you are sovereign and holy, and God, that we need you, God, that your son died and was buried, God, and rose again, God, to save us, Father, from this. God, I pray, Father, that it would be real in our lives. God, that it would not be just something that someone else does in our lives, but, God, that we would realize it. God, that we would lay hold of it. And, God, that your last words, Father, to God, to your apostles, God, would be the very first work for us as believers. God, that we would be busy about your work. God, that we would be busy about advancing your gospel, God, because of what it has done in our lives. God, thank you for this day. God, I pray for the message. God, that, the, that your word would go goes forth. God, that believers, God, would just... Leave here differently than the way they came in. God, thank you for this group. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 You are dismissed. Next week, same time.